All right. Hello, everyone. Today we have Bryson Tarbit from That Music Teacher here on the podcast, and he's come to tell us all about his first year of teaching. And hopefully we, him and I can help any first year teachers this year, even though it's kind of the weirdest year ever. Thank you so much for having me, Becca. I'm really excited to talk about this. Before we jump into that, I would like to know a little bit about what your school is doing this year. So yeah, we actually, my first day back was yesterday. We have this week all teacher meetings and planning and get everything ready. Um, But right now we're going back on a 50% hybrid model. So students will be coming twice a week um, in person and then the rest of the three days of the week they'll be doing online. So there's been a lot of discussion to figure out how that works for us when we have a 60 day rotation at one of my school and trimesters at my other school. Um, It's been a lot of putting things out with post-it notes to try to figure out how they work. But right now we're doing, it should work out about, so every other time I see them, I see them in person, followed by me seeing them um, online for asynchronous learning. Interesting. Yeah, so my class sizes are going to be very small because within the classes that I'm seeing in person, I'm only going to have half of what I would normally have. (laughs) Okay. So it's going to be a special year. It's definitely a special year for everybody. Um, We are starting, teachers started actually like two full weeks ago. We had a really long pre-planning this year because of all of this. And then we start virtually tomorrow. So today, I I don't know if you can see my background. I like made a um, classroom in my office. (laughs) So that looks a little, I like printed out posters. We have it in class so that hopefully it'll be a little bit familiar to the kids. So tell me about your first year of teaching. So my first year of teaching was actually a year after I left college. So I spent my first year out of undergrad working primarily as a special education aide. I worked in a couple of autism classrooms. I worked in some special ed self-contained classrooms. I was a one-on-one aide for a while. Um, so when I went into my first year of music teaching, I knew that I had I, I had that experience working with exceptional learners. Um, and that's why I was so excited when I got my, my first job and I realized that there was the opportunity to work with um, a self-contained music class. Uh, so my first year of teaching, I, I w- I'm in the same position I am now. It's more or less the same. Um, so I start my day at a 5-6 school. I teach four periods there. Then I dart across some a couple of um, country roads, uh, dodging a couple of tractors, and we get over to um, my K-4 school where I spend the rest of my day. Okay. Um, and you majored in music education, correct? I did. Okay. Did you feel like it prepared you? Oh, that's such a soapbox right there. <laughs> so I, um, I really feel like there's a lot, there's a big problem when it comes to music education at the undergraduate level. And I think it all comes down to trying to fit in a, you know, K through 12 general music band, choir, orchestra into a four-year degree um, with one of those years being only, stu- or one of those semesters only being student teaching, um, which is really hard. I felt like I was really well prepared to be a secondary educator. Um, unfortunately, I only took one class in elementary methods, and that's what I do now. <laughs> um, and I, talking to a lot of other elementary music teachers, that's a very common theme that, you know, they felt very well prepared to teach band, choir, orchestra. Uh, but when it comes to came to the elementary side of things, um, it was a lot of, oh, I had, a, you know, I, I learned a lot during student teaching, which is great. We, we're supposed to learn a lot during student teaching. Um, but I feel like 
so many music educators are literally making it up as they go, especially at the elementary level when they're um, in their first few years. I agree. And with all of the classes trying to fit them in, that's not even counting like music theory and, you know, orchestration and those kind of things. It used to drive me crazy that I would have (laughs) 18 credit hours, but I was taking like 20 classes and other people were taking like four classes. (laughs) I was like, I feel that. So really frustrating. I totally agree. Although I have to be honest, um, the making it up as you go is kind of my favorite part about teaching. Um, I think it's just so much fun to get to create my own stuff. So I do have to say that's, I would have rather been more prepared because same as you, I had one class in elementary music, but I do enjoy the let's figure it out. Definitely. And it's definitely a double-edged sword because I am 100% not one of those people that could follow a curriculum like in a book like step by step. I would hate it. It's so it's definitely great that we have the opportunity to be creative and to be able to to serve our students in that exact situation. Uh, but with that being said, especially when you're a first year teacher and you're making everything up all for the first time at once, it can be incredibly overwhelming. And but again, I, I I wouldn't, I'd rather have it the, over, the hard way <laughs> than have to um, follow something set in stone. Agreed. Yeah. I even, when I like sit through meetings and they talk about the grade levels at my school and how like their curriculum's already laid out, I'm like, ooh, that's not fun. <laughs> On the other hand, they at least know what they're doing. So where would you find, as we're, you know, making up our own things, if someone is a first year teacher, where would you suggest like where to look for the resources to create that curriculum. So one thing that I'm so incredibly thankful for in my first year of teaching is just the online music teacher community. I mean, all these Facebook groups, blog posts, um, all all the Pinterest, Instagrams, um, they're really what got me through my first year of teaching. one thing that I found incredibly helpful, um, I was a member of the, I joined the American Oral Work Association, OSA, and as part of that, you get a, a um, access to a video library, which literally just has a ridiculous amount of recordings from their national conferences throughout the years. Um, so there's a lot of really good on-demand professional development, and it's practical. It's not like super academic focused on, you know, the terminology and this and that. It's like, hey, this is something you can do in your classroom tomorrow. Um, and that was something like, for instance, for me, like that's, that's what changed recorder for me, being able to see some great presenters teaching, you know, the recorder through the official work really changed how I view the recorder in my classroom. Um, But there's so many great resources that I've kind of, you know, grabbed bits and pieces as uh, over the years and just kind of creating a a collection that works for me and my students that, you know, there's you know, Beth Notes Plus is a great resource when you're looking for repertoire. Um, There's some wonderful things. um, uh, Anne Leski has a wonderful podcast and a blog. Um, David Rowe has a great um, podcast. Um, now he's doing, you know, weekly uh, PD in your pajamas, like he calls it, on Mondays on, on his Facebook Live. So there's just a lot of stuff out there to kind of see if you can pick and choose, you know, what works for you in your classroom. Yeah, that's really great. I am going to have to look into teaching recorder the ORF way because I have not had great recorder experiences <laughs> so far, yeah. but we're, we're working on that. It'll be good. I agree on all of those. I actually have a bunch of pages that I printed out from Beth's note plus, what is it? 
yeah, bestnotesplus.com sitting like right here on my desk that I printed out because I was looking for a few like really particular songs. And I love how hers is, you can search by topic or by what the like rhythms are or what the melodies are so that you can find pretty much a song to fit any occasion, which is just really awesome. Definitely. Another one that's really good is, um, especially if you're kind of more Kodai influenced, is the um, the Holy Names University Kodai um, database. Again, you can search it by concept, by folk, re- by region. Um, you know, is there a game, you know, meter, melodic concept, rhythm concepts. Um, and what's great with those is uh, those are, you know, academically sourced in folk material. A lot of the ones on Beth Notes are too. Just might be from a, di- a different level of kind of academic rigor but there's still a lot of great things on both the resources yes and on that website i believe there is also a sample sequence which i took to base my sequence of like what i teach off of which was super helpful especially after that first year of like i have no idea what i'm doing to kind of get a plan based on that so it's like, it's just, I think I just Googled like Kodai sample sequence and it popped up. So that's a really good little resource for you. What would you suggest for people who are new this year? I think flexibility for all of us, honestly, even if you, you're, this is your last year before you retire, flexibility is going to be, we're, we're going to have to be incredibly flexible. Um, and I, I think that it's important that we we kind of balance that line of advocating for our students, but also realizing that there's a huge bigger picture than us right now. Um, and we need to make sure that we're, um, everything that we're doing is obviously for our students, but also making sure that in the future, um, that we still have jobs and that we, you know, this is still something that's important. Um, so while teaching music online is not great, um, we need to show that we can adapt, we can be flexible um, so that we can at least do some sort of musical education um, in not some not so great times. Um, especially if you're a first year teacher, I highly recommend you reach out to and build a community, whether it be a Facebook group, um, people, you know, your cohort, part uh, that you went through school with, you know, other music teachers in your district. Um, I think it's so important to have that community, especially a community of music educators, because we are going to be adapting, you know, for some of us week by week, we're going to have completely different situations. And I, th- I think we just, we have to be cognizant of the fact that this is going to be a rough year. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is, uh, but I, I think it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't fix it, but it helps to know that it's not just you having a rough year. We're all having rough years, which is, which is awful, but it also means that we're all coming up with these unique situations uh, or unique solutions for the situations that you might yourself be in. Yes, agreed. And especially if you have any music teachers in your district or close by, we have, I, live in Savannah, Georgia, which is a pretty large area. So we actually have quite a few schools, which is really nice because that means I have many other music teachers I can talk to. And so we've all been, we like started a Google drive where we're just sharing all of our resources. And I have like three other teachers that we all graduated at the same time and got jobs close together. And we're like texting every day, like, how are you doing this? What are you going to do about that? And it's just super, super helpful. Um, what kind of people do you have in your community, Bryson? Uh, so I teach at a very small district. Um, there are four music teachers through the entire district, and half of those are high school. <laughs> so it's me and 
another elementary music educator. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of it for us. Uh, but I think it's important to well, definitely you want to work with those in your district to you know work in those. Um, in the districts around you that, you know, I go to the Central Ohio ORF chapter, um, in those meetings, obviously they're not going to be happening in person, but a lot of them are still doing um, in per, or online uh, virtual professional development. Um, but I think for me, honestly, what's getting me through this is, you know, I have a wonderful friend that I went through college with, um, and she's in a similar situation um, up in Northeast Ohio, and we, we talk, text each other a lot <laughs> about, you know, what, what, what is that governor order? What does that mean for us? Or, you know, what are you guys doing to do with this? And um, I did my Code A Level 1 training last summer. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do my second Code A Level this summer, um, but the, the folks that I went through, my, that, my cohort that we went through Level 1 together, we've been working a lot together to try to help each other um, because again we're all in very unique situations than we've ever found ourselves in before. Yeah so I was just really curious about that so some ideas for people that you could potentially have in your community would be people who are near you or people you went to school with and if you don't have anyone near you and you didn't really go to school with anybody then you can feel free to reach out to other music teachers on Instagram. I know that sounds really strange, but it has been a huge resource and just a good way to get little ideas from different people for me. I wanted to circle back to the thing you mentioned about how this year is really rough for everybody. Um, first of all, agreed. Secondly, it's really rough. And then also your first year of teaching is going to be rough. So no matter how prepared you feel or unprepared you feel. If you are incredibly stressed out, it's okay. It doesn't make it great, but it is okay because I, just everybody feels that way. So don't ever feel alone if you are very stressed out your first year or second or 25th because it's... Yeah, I feel like it's really important for us, um, especially this year, to realize we can't do everything. <laughs> it's just... There, there's a lot there's so much going on in the world right now that we can't be we can't be everything for everyone we have to make sure that we're taking care of us first um you know the, the verbiage of you know putting your own oxygen mask on first um you know while it might sound selfish it, it's the case you know if we don't take care of ourselves we can't help our students uh, we need to make sure that even if it's you know taking an hour when you get home from work and doing absolutely nothing um, or taking a week, a day, one day of the weekend where, where you do absolutely nothing related to school. Um, whatever that looks like for you, do, taking some time for yourself and giving yourself grace because we're all going to make mistakes, especially if this is your first year. We're going, you're going to make mistakes. Um, but, you know, mistakes are going to be made this year. But what, it's what we do after these mistakes, just like we tell our students, like when you make a mistake, it doesn't mean the end. It means that's where you're going to keep trying. And we need to really model that this year. Um, and I think that it comes down to, you know, building that community around us, um, having some positive self-talk, even when things go wrong. Um, I have a post-it note that I wrote on my very first day of school, on my first year of teaching, um, and I put it on my computer monitor and it's still there. And it says, you make a difference even on bad days. And I think that is incredibly important for us to remember. You might have had the worst day. Like you might just be ready to throw up your hands, walk out and retire 37 years early. <laughs> You're just done. <laughs> Uh, but you might have changed the life of one, even if it was one of your students, you might have made a significant change in their life. And that day that sets them on a completely different trajectory. And I think that for me, 
that makes it worth it, even if we're having awful days and even if we're going to be teaching in a not so great situation. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And sometimes you won't know ever or for a very long time that you did anything to touch a student, but even really simple things like remembering that the kids might be having a bad day as well. And so I've had kids say things to me like, Miss Davis, I love how you don't yell at us all the time. And I'm like, yeah, um, I, I don't really know how to respond to that, but like <laughs> just me, you know, talking in a normal voice level and not yelling at the kids as soon as they did something they shouldn't have, like just that little thing made a difference to this kid. And she like acknowledged that that was something that she really liked about me and, you know, just think about if you're like getting yelled at all day and then you come to one class where you're not like, that's a nice little reprieve for you <laughs> to be a little less stressed. And so just, I mean, it could be anything that you do that can help a kid on any given day. Do you have any particular, like maybe tricks for first year teachers to help them manage things and figure out like what to actually do? So this is one of those things that it's not going to help you this year, but it's going to help you a lot later. Um, but I personally use Google Docs for all of my lesson planning and stuff, which is great because you can search it, it indexes it. So if you knew in the future, if you know, oh, I use this song, but I can't remember how I did it. You can search that song and it'll actually pull it up in a document where you have it. So that's, I would say, write down as much as you can so that eventually we stop having to reinvent the wheel. Obviously, you're going to tweak things. You're going to move things around, but you're not starting from scratch and in every single year. But I, on top of that, just don't get stuck in your music teacher bubble. One thing that I do that, you know, I, I make it I, a, a real effort. I, you know, this isn't something that I, it just happens. I, I make sure that I am seen outside of my classroom, whether it means, hey, I'm standing where, even if I don't have duty, I'm standing by the door to wave to kids as they're leaving. Or even though my classroom's all the way on the other side of the school, at the end of the day, I'm going and talking to the other music or the other non-music teachers about their day and, and you know, just making connections with my colleagues. Um, one that helps you, especially if you're a traveling teacher, it helps you feel rooted in your school. It helps you get, get out, of your, out of your bubble. It, it's just, well, you need to do what you can do. And again, give yourself some grace because um, your first year is going to be a little bit rough. I agree so much on the getting out of your bubble and going and talking to the other teachers and to the kids. I did not think about that because I tend to be very like business oriented. Like this is what we're doing and this is what I need to get done. And I don't often think about things like, oh, I should probably go talk to people. And I got to the end of my first year and I was like, I don't really know anybody <laughs> because even though I knew them and like I met them and talked to them, I mean, every day because they're dropping their kids off and I see them in the morning and things like that. I didn't actually like really know any of the other teachers, especially because my classroom is like over in a corner isolated by itself. And so since I have like made an actual effort to talk to some of the other teachers, it just makes work a lot more enjoyable. And if you have like questions, you can talk to them. And even if they don't know the answer, they can at least, you know, show you that you are not the only one that doesn't know the answer. Cause I texted two people earlier and was like, um, are we supposed to do this? And they were like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, it's helpful to know that you're on the same page as other people. Definitely. I know that, especially, you know, at the end of last year and 
we we had a little a couple of rough patches during the year before all the corona stuff started um but i i really couldn't do it without my colleagues uh you know they 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 help getting through it together <laughs> um they're able to help me through and we can you know use use each other as a sounding board um and, and i think it's really important to spread some roots um and to kind of even if it means inserting yourself into situations, but, you know, because, you know, sometimes we're going to have to do that as music teachers because we're not automatically brought to the table. Um, but I think it's important for us to make sure that we're part of the school and part of the school culture. Agreed. I have a little trick. My first year, because when you're starting and you don't know anything and you don't have any lessons, actually, I remember thinking I like sat down to lesson plan and I was like, I don't, have any lessons <laughs> especially because <laughs> I ended up teaching where I did my student teaching so all of the lessons that I knew I got from my mentor teacher but she had just done them with the kids yeah and so I was like well I can't you know repeat all of the same things when they just did it so one thing that I did that helped me a lot was that I did not have different lessons for every single grade I kind of grouped them so that I had less that I had to find and think about every single week. And I would tear it up and down so that, you know, the older kids had more going on and the younger kids had less, but I wasn't writing six different lesson plans every single week. And that was super helpful both for my time and for my sanity. And then since then I've been able to split it up more and more each year until now it's, you know, everyone has a different lesson. Exactly. I think that's great, especially, you know, like you said, you know, tearing it up or tearing it down, creating opportunities for extension um, can help change, make them different. For, um, for one, teaching the same lesson like 12 times can be a lot. But, you know, if you have opportunities where you're changing little things up, but you're not reinventing the wheel and starting over from that lesson, um, that can make it a lot, like you said, a lot less planning, but also keeping that interest in you. And I can't even remember who said it at this point. Someone else on Instagram or a podcast was talking about, you know, if, if you sing a song 12 times and you do it for all the different kindergarten classes and you still enjoy that song, that's a song to keep. Um, so you're definitely going to figure out what are those songs that you're going you're gonna to keep in, in, your, in your toolbox for years to come. Yes. And others you might intentionally not teach the students because then you'll have to sing it a million times. For sure. Or, you know, those ones that they love and they keep asking for it, but they are not your favorite. And you're like, ah, <laughs> we'll do it next time. So one thing that I think is very, very important and hard to learn and something they did not cover, at least in my college experience, is classroom management. Do you have any helpful tips for classroom management for newer teachers? I know this year is going to be super wonky, um, but, you know, maybe for next year when hopefully things are normal, because I said that last year, but here we are. <laughs> so I actually got into a debate in a non-music, just an education course um, with a high school education major. Um, and we were basically tasked to create rules for our classroom. We were talking about classroom management and, you know, he had all these rules and, you know, do, you know, da, 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 da. and I'm like, I, I, I that's too much. <laughs> and I think it, it comes down to building a culture. Um, like for me in my classroom, I don't care if you're a preschooler coming into my classroom or if you're one of my sixth graders, I have the same three expectations. I want you to be safe, responsible, and respectful. Anything falls under that. And it's, you know, it's not, um, super it's not you know negative like don't do this don't run you know it, it's just 
these are the three expectations that I have for you in my classroom. If you're not meeting those expectations, then we're going to have to talk something. And I think it really comes down to the way that we react when students aren't meeting our expectations. You know, we're not snapping, we're not shutting them down, we're redirecting, or even better, we're focusing more on those students that are meeting those expectations and pointing out and being very specific. Um, oh my goodness, I love how Susie was moving through space and she was making sure that she was in her own bubble and she wasn't getting anywhere, getting um, in her friend's space. And that's so much more powerful than saying, Johnny, you are too close to Susie. Like, that's so much more powerful. Um, and personally, I think a lot of what classroom management is, is we need to make sure that we're using positive teacher language. Our students, if you are framing classroom management and your classroom community right, your students are going to want to do well because they don't want to disappoint you. Not because they're afraid to get a, a, um, a punishment, not because they're, they're going to get a sticker. They want to do it because they want you to be happy at them. <laughs> like, and, and that's one of those things where you, obviously you can't do that all at once. But once you're, if you're taking steps to building that positive community where students know that they're respected and knowing that they're going to be held to those high expectations, um, it, it really allows the kids to flourish because they're not, they're not getting stuck in the no, don't do this. They're getting, they're just focusing on doing the best that they can because they want you to be happy. Yes, that's completely, I agree with everything you just said. We have four expectations in my classroom and they're very, everyone's tend to end up being very similar, but mine are follow directions, be respectful, be responsible, and be a participant. And so whenever we're doing any activity, we'll talk through what it looks like to do those things. So if we're going to, you know, do a movement activity, we talk about like, is it responsible to move over and touch instruments without permission? And when you phrase it that way, the kids know like, oh no, of course I'm not going to do that. But if you don't say it, then they often will do it because they just don't think about it. I find personally a lot of classroom management issues arise just from kids not fully understanding everything that needs to go on. So like as specific as you can get about everything they need to do is going to be better because then they'll know, you know, okay, I can walk in this area, but I can't walk over here behind the desk or I can't walk over here by, you know, behind the piano or things like that. If you tell them ahead of time, then they know where is like the safe space and where they should not be, as opposed to if you don't tell them like, you know, we're going to stay in this open area, then they're going to go all over the place because they're kids. So that's exactly yeah. An, a wonderful resource when it comes to classroom management is the responsive classroom. So there is something along the lines of a responsive classroom for art, PE, music, gym, or something like that. But it's, it's basically this, the um, related arts content areas in the responsive classroom. It's a wonderful text um, with a lot of really good practical examples. And they talk a lot about exactly what you were saying. Instead of just saying, all right, we're going to go pick up a xylophone. We're like, all right, how do we, how do we make sure that we're moving the xylophone safely? You know, and then we have a student model it. We, we have a student model, you know, maybe what they couldn't do. Or maybe they ran over to their, oh, what was wrong with Johnny? You know, how can I have someone that showed me what Johnny should have done instead? And it's, again, it's modeling, making those expectations explicitly clear so that they know what's, what they're expected to do. There's no room for um, error. They just, they, they understand what to do because we kind of created those expectations and worked through them, those processes together. 
Yes. If they understand what they should do and how to do it, then they're much more likely to do it correctly. And you will be surprised at like how much you really need to break it down for children, especially for littles. And especially at the beginning of the year with the older kids kind of closer to the end of the year, when they've been doing all the routines throughout the year, it's a little bit easier, but especially at the beginning of the year. And especially with the younger students being really explicit, like you said, about how are we moving the xylophone? Are we pulling the bars off? If we are, how are we pulling the bars off? Or are we not pulling them off? And just all those little things. And as soon as you start with one class, then you'll realize like, oh, I should probably say that next time. And you'll get more and more used to how much you need to really, really, really break it down. And I think another thing that's really important is that we kind of, whether or not they are children, they're just little people. Um, and if, if we're saying, hey, when, you know, we have to pull up the, when we're removing bars from the xylophone, we have to do it this way. Why? Why do they have to do that? Maybe find, if you have an old xylophone that's all kinds of mangled, show them like, hey, look at this one. This one we can't use anymore. Or this one, this broke off and we, we can't use this, this bar anymore. You know, for one, that's going to stick more in their brain. It's not, well, we use two hands, but we use two hands because otherwise it snaps off and we don't get to use it again. Um, but just, you know, tell, you, tell them why you have these different rules or why you have these expectations. Um, because then it's not just an arbitrary thing that you said because you're the teacher. It's, hey, we have to do this to be safe or, you know, we have to do this to respect the equipment that we have. Um, and this is why we have to do that because otherwise we wouldn't be able to use it or otherwise someone could get hurt. Yes, I intentionally keep broken instruments for that purpose. <laughs> the other thing I've found is kind of a, if other like teachers walk into your room observing what the adults do because sometimes it's really hard as music teachers you know if kids like come in and immediately start banging on some drums you want to like totally freak out because you know they could break they could fall this that or the other you're not where you're supposed to be but if you watch like when adults walk into your room they also want to go and bang on the drums exactly <laughs> so like you were saying they're little people and so those like really instinctive things just bear in mind i'm not saying you know let the kids just run in and bang the drums but you know maybe prefacing them with we're going to use the drums but we're not using them right now so please go straight to your seat or things like that but don't just get mad for things that they're doing that like everybody i mean that's the thing like i if you're going to walk in the room and there's just a drum in the middle of the floor that's not normally there if you don't address it, you're going to drive those kids nuts. Of course, they're going to want to run up and, and play it. But if you meet them at the door and be like, hey, there's a drum there. We're going to use it later. But I'm going to be looking for one friend that's being extra awesome and not making sure that they're, they're not using the drum when they're not supposed to. And that's going to go stand on their dot. And they're going to be the first ones to get to use it. Like, just addressing it. Like, yeah, that's a drum. It's not normally there. That's exciting. Uh, but this is how we have to use it appropriately. Yes. And they're very, very curious. Even I had, we did ring shout one year. We learned all about ring shout, which is a Gullah style of music. And for it, we had a, I brought in like a giant stick that we were using to keep the beat. And so I had this giant stick in the front of my room. And so then every class that, especially the ones who were not doing that, they were like, Miss Davis, why is there a stick in your room? <laughs> like they were just so curious because I'm well, kids are curious and people in general are curious. So just addressing things like that Definitely. will really 
help things out. All right. Do you have any other helpful tips for our first year teachers or any teachers in general? Uh, if I were just to sum everything up is make sure that you have a community around you, whether that whether or not they're another community of music teachers, whether they're just um, other teachers, whether they're just friends that have nothing to do with teaching, having that community around you is going to be so important this year. Um, as we we dive into something that's literally literally never been done. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've never had online teaching uh, starting the year working with like this is this is all brand new. So make sure that you're giving yourself some grace. Um, do what you can, but don't don't feel like you, you have to do everything because we can't do everything. Um, and just, you know, as long as we're making music with kids, that's the goal. That goal is to have kids making music. Whether that looks different or not, it's going to be, you know, an individual basis. But I think it all comes down to make music with kids, treat the kids like people. Um, and we're all going to have um, a great time, whether or not it's something we ever want to do again or not. Um, it's going to, we're going to make it through. Yes. Um, do you have anything special for first year teachers? So I actually have a couple of um, resources that I think would be really helpful for first-year teachers. So first, I have a guide. Um, it's five five ways to better serve students with exceptional needs. Um, and you can grab that one for free at thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners. Um, and then there's, I also have a five-day uh, technology challenge that I created with Katherine Miller. Um, and you can check that one out at thatmusicteacher.com slash technology. Okay, so the first one was exceptional learners, and the second one was technology. Yes. Okay, just making sure that I can get that link so everyone can find it. And awesome. how can people find you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at That Music Teacher. Um, I do some blogging, and I'm actually getting ready for my new podcast or a new season of That Music Podcast. You can find that pretty much everywhere if the podcasts are. Um, you can also find pretty much everything that I do kind of at a home base at thatmusicteacher.com. All right, so I will put all of those links in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much for coming and sharing all your helpful tips and wisdom about first-year teachers, especially this year. It's just going to be holding on for dear life. Thank you for having me.